It is with great pleasure this morning that I get to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, as we get to read this wonderful, exciting genealogy. That was a joke. Now, I feel like I can guess what you were thinking this morning. You were looking at this list of names, about 70-something of them, and you were thinking you wish you had stayed home, or you were about to get a really good nap. I hope to prove you wrong this morning. I pray that as we walk through this genealogy, and we're not going to walk through every name, but as we look at this genealogy, that you will find that a genealogy in the Bible is far more important than we give it, than we give it credit and I say this with, with conviction because I, like many of you, when I am in my own personal Bible reading, I come to a genealogy sometimes to just either skip over or read really, really fast through it. Speed read. But when Paul wrote First Timothy and he said to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable, he was speaking also even about the genealogies. Matter of fact, one of the greatest messages that I ever heard in my when I, in my, the younger days of my ministry, was on the genealogy found in Genesis chapter 5. Wonderful, wonderful salvation message by Dr. Vody Bauckham. Wonderful one. So as we come now to Luke, to this genealogy, my hope is for the truth of God, of the inspiration of God's scripture to be made known to you this morning. We are going to pick up with part two of the sermon, The Credentials of Jesus Christ. We started this last week. A credential is something that testifies that a person is entitled, trust, or has the right to execute official power. A credential is something that lets us know, lets the the reader know or the audience know that this individual is worthy of our trust. He is the man for the job. And so before Luke now begins to give us a detailed account of the ministry, the life, ministry, and death of Jesus Christ, he wants you to know the credentials. He gives us first his baptism, and then now, secondly, he gives us the genealogy. By presenting the baptism and the genealogy, Luke is giving us proof that he is both the Son of God, the baptism, we saw that last week, and the Son of Man. And that because of this, he is alone uniquely qualified to bring about the salvation from God's wrath and his eternal judgment and so these two things are tangible pieces of evidence for the doctrine of incarnation now last week where we saw and examined the baptism of Jesus we we saw that he is the the divine son of God who brings about our righteousness who because of him and his life, death, and resurrection, we are made righteous and we also receive the Spirit of God in us and we receive the testimony of the Father. But today we will examine the genealogy. And according to Luke, which testifies of Jesus' human nature, you and I will see this morning that he is not some mythological figure. He's not something that was ma- someone who was made up. He's not a conspiracy theory. He is the Son of Man, fully human, who has come to purchase our salvation by being the greatest of all men. He's not just fully man. 
He is the greatest of all men. And so this morning I have three points that I want you to see. I want you to notice David's royal descendant. I want you to see Adam's true heir. And then I want us to close with, I'm sorry, Abraham's true heir. And then I want us to see Adam's promised seed. So let's begin in verse 23 here of Luke chapter 3. We read, it says, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Hesli, the son of Nagai, the son of Moth the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josic, the son of Jodah, the son of Join, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltil, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kazam, the son of El-Madam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua the son of Elizer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melie, the son of Minah, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Selman, the son of Nashun, the son of Amenadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarug, the son of Ru the son of Pelag, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxed, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, and the son of Adam, the son of God. May God bless even the reading of the genealogies in Scripture. If you will, I want you to notice here first, we're going to look at David's descendant. But before we dive in, I wish that I had time to talk with you this morning about the differences between Matthew's genealogy and Luke's. Because this is one of those segments of Scripture where they tried to use against us to say that the Bible is not the inspired word and that it was made up because they do not match. Well, first, I need you to understand that Matthew and Luke's genealogies are not the same. They do start with Joseph, but if you'll notice that in Luke's genealogy, he says the supposed son of. According to John MacArthur, and I guess this just kind of simplifies it for you and I, is that this is talking about adoption. The next name in there is the son of Eli. That is the the father of Mary. And so when it says the supposed son of Jonah, 
since this is an official record, where Matthew's is probably a little less official, this would have been a public official record in that day. Uh, there would have been no women, no, no names of women there. And so he begins with the son of Joseph, and he says, he says it that way because there was no Greek word for father-in-law. But so he wants to begin with, or son-in-law, he wants to begin with the son-in-law of Eli, which is, which is Mary's father, and he begins to work through this. And so what we find is, is that Luke's genealogy is the genealogy of Mary. And Luke wants to take it all the way back to Adam. Another thing that you'll notice, the second thing is, is that Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy are in reverse. Luke reverses his compared to all other genealogies. Normally what you would do is you would begin with Adam and you would work your way to Jesus. But Luke does not do that. And I think there is a reason for that, and I'm going to save that for the end. I think Luke has a purpose in that, that he begins with Jesus and he's working his way back to Adam because normally it's always the opposite. You begin in the beginning and you work your way up to the child that we are talking about, but Luke does not do that. So let us jump ahead and what I want to do is I want you to jump ahead and we see there in verse 31 that we see this, the first great name of significance and this is the name of David. So we are told that Jesus is part of the lineage of David. Now, where Joseph goes through Solomon and Mary goes through Nathan, this is important that you understand. This is no small matter that we have these two genealogies in Matthew and we have the one here in Luke. Both genealogies, or any genealogy, can either prove or disprove a person's right to rule, a right to the throne, all right? You know, again, it's not the greatest thing that's going to allow someone to rule, but, but it certainly can disprove and discredit someone. So here we, ha- here we are, Luke has this public record of Jesus' genealogy. He gets all this put together, as he said at the beginning, consecutive order. This is the reason why no one ever questioned Jesus in the Gospels. If you'll notice, through the reading of the Gospels, no one ever questioned was he really in the lineage of David, because there would have been public record. And so we have that. So he can never be disproven of this. Now, Luke 3 and Matthew 1 are genealogical proofs that Jesus has the right to rule. Through Mary, we get his blood descent from, from David. It goes from Dathan, uh, David to Nathan. But, but a Joseph who, in Matthew who adopts Jesus as his son and his lineage runs through Solomon, he gets the legal right to rule. So you get it on both things here. You have his blood descent from David, but also you have his legal right to rule. Dear friends, this is huge, but there's more to this. There's more to this. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, and I wish we had time to read all these verses this morning, but I'm just going to have to reference them, and you're going to have to go back and read them. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, God made a prophecy. God gave a prophecy concerning the, the seed of David or, the, or a descendant of David. And God tells them that, there, that a son would come from David and he would be a great king. But not just a great king. He would be the greatest of all kings. For his kingdom would be a kingdom that will, will last for all eternity. And a, and a, an eternal kingdom whose king would sit on the throne forever. Now, when we get into the Gospels, we see 17 times where Jesus is referred to as, guess what? That descendant, the son of David, the son of David. 
So we, we see that he is the one who comes from David. We have the, the genealogical proof that he's from David. And as, you'll, as we walk through this and as we see the Gospels, we have all the evidence that proves that Jesus is that king. So he's not just any human king. He is the great human king. He is the king of kings that God had prophesied who would come and build an everlasting kingdom. For David's kingdom, listen, we, we know that it did not last. We, we know that, 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 they are, that they're overtaken because of their sin and the judgment of God and all of these things. But we know that there is one from David's lineage that, he will, that his kingdom will rise up and his kingdom will be the greatest of all kingdoms. But dear friends, that is not all. Because if you were to turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through 37, I love this where Jesus asked the Pharisees, he says, why did David say, say to my Lord? Lord, why say to my Lord? And what he was saying was that David was calling the Son of God Lord. Because David knew. He knew that Jesus, he knew the Son of God, the one to come. The Messiah was greater than him. Beloved, Jesus Christ is more than just the 40-something grandson or David. He is the greater David. He is the, the greater king. And so we have this evidence that shows us that Jesus comes through David and he is building a kingdom. So, so he's not just the son of God. He is, he is flesh and blood and he has the right, he has the legal right and the blood right to rule as our king. And he will build a kingdom. A kingdom that is not built by brick and stone. But a kingdom that is built by power and glory. A kingdom of spirit that will become, that will in its fulfillment will be completely made known to us and be physical to us. But for now, it is a spiritual kingdom, and Jesus rules and he reigns in the hearts of all Christians all over the world. The kingdom of God is here, it is now because the king has come. And though the king, though the king may have left and went back to the right hand of the Father, we know that he's not just a human. We know from last week, he is the Son of God, he is the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And if we are in Christ, Christ is in us. And so his kingdom reigns today and it reigns in our hearts. It reigns, it, it reigns within us and we live by his rule. We live by his authority. We live by his power. And though the citizens of this kingdom are scattered around and they live in the, the nations and the kingdom and other kingdoms on this world, we know that their ultimate allegiance is to Christ. My allegiance is not to this nation. My allegiance at this day will always be ultimately to Christ. He is my king. And when this nation and all nations come against my king, they come against me. Oh, beloved, he is our king. And one day we will know this fully. Because he has promised a new heaven, a new earth. He has promised the city of Zion. So when we read this genealogy, we see the, the first name of significance is that Jesus, lets, he lets us know that he is blood, he is flesh, but he is the king. My prayer is this morning is, is that your hope is not in earthly kingdoms. My prayer is, is that, that as we read this genealogy and as the people of, of Luke's day, of, of Jesus' day, would, would look, at the, look at the genealogy and they would see that he comes from the line of David in a day where Rome ruled, a day where Caesar was God to them. 
we know that our God became man. You see, Caesar had to rise to the throne, but Jesus left the throne. And like David who went into the valley to fight the giant, our Savior leaves the throne to come down into this valley that He may establish a kingdom of people that He may rule and reign over. If history has proven anything, dear friends, it is that the kings of this world will fail us and the kingdoms of this world will fall. Even here in America, our politicians let us down and what was once great seems to be fading And this has left many of you disappointed. This has left many of you worried. This has left many of you angry. It has left some of you hopeless. Beloved, that is not our king. The one in the White House now and the one that will be there in two years or or 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, in 100 years, he is not our king. Jesus Christ is our king. And we place our hope in him. So for only, dear friends, my prayers and my hope is is that your hope is in this king and in this kingdom. The perfect king with an everlasting kingdom. But that's not enough. If you continue to read, and I said I'm only going to look at three names here, but I think these are the most significant names. I want you to go on down to verse 34. And what we find is, is we find the name of Abraham. We find, we, we, we see Isaac. We see Jacob, Isaac, and we see Abraham. We know that these names are are significant, but Abraham, he is the father of faith. He is the father of Israel. And I want to share something with you. I want you to go back because we know the story, but I want to just recap the story of Abraham because I want to show you that Jesus is the greater Abraham. And so in Genesis chapter 12, you and I read, we've been, seems that we have been just studying this very hard in Sunday school. Genesis chapter 12, do you remember the promises, the covenant that God made with Abraham? It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we find here the great, the great covenantal promise of God to Abraham. God promises him that he will give him a land and he will make him the father of a great nation. He will bless him. He will make his name great and he will bless others who bless him and he will curse those who curse him. And so these are the promises that God made and so therefore we know the story that Abraham left. He left the Ur of the Chaldeans and he goes into the promised land where he tries to begin to live by faith. Now we know the story that Abraham, that his faith is weak, he does fail, but God kept Abraham. Did we not see this morning how God was even with Jacob? How God was with Isaac? Well, we know that he was also with Abraham even when his faith was lacking. But over time, Abraham's faith would begin to grow. It would grow to the very point that there in Genesis chapter 22, God calls Abraham to take his son, his one and only son, the son that he promised him, the son that he could not have on his own, but had to have the divine supernatural power of God to intervene in his life. That he is to take this son and he is to lay him on the altar. And there he is to make a sacrifice of Isaac to the Lord. 
Abraham, who has grown in his faith, and the Hebrews chapter 11 tells us, who believed that God could raise the dead, set out to Mount Moriah where he would lay, he would build an altar and he would lay his son there. And as the knife was coming down, God intervenes on behalf of Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you have shown, you have expressed your faith. He says, I have a substitute for you. It is a ram in the bush. And so Abraham takes the ram. He sacrifices the ram on behalf of his son, Isaac. And God says this to Abraham. He says, Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham, in your, with, an, with one of your heirs, or with your heirs, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. All these covenant promises, all these things I have told you, Abraham, are going to come about. And it's going to happen through your seed. The faithful actions of Abraham made him the icon of faithfulness to the Jewish nation. And through him they became the heirs of God's promises. They enjoyed the God's favor until in their own sin God brought judgment to them. But if one looks at this genealogy, what he sees is, is that Jesus is an heir of Abraham. And they, they would look and they say, brother, you are one of us. You are, you are of our kin. And not just of flesh and blood, but you are one of us in the covenantal promises of God. Jesus, you are a Jew, you are an Israelite, a true Israelite, and therefore you receive the blessings of God because of our father Abraham. But you see, like King David, that is, there's more to the story. David being the great king, but God says there's a king that's going to come that's going to be greater than you and he's going to have a kingdom greater than yours. In the same way, there is more to the story of Abraham. That yes, God begins with Abraham and he makes these covenantal promises to Abraham. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, listen to this. Talking about this very covenant, talking about the very verse that we just read, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Listen to what he says. He says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as referring to the many, but rather to the one and to your seed, that is Jesus Christ. What is the Apostle Paul telling us here? The Apostle Paul is telling us that Abraham, yes, had heirs the jews are his descendants they are his heirs he the 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 faithfulness the promises of god the blessing of god are passed to to them but notice that he said that these promises and these blessings will be known by the whole world through one of those heirs through one of his descendants and paul says that that is jesus christ Beloved, the blessing that God promised to Abraham does not come about through just through the faithfulness of Abraham. It doesn't come about through Israel. The blessing that God has promised that comes to all of us comes through Jesus Christ, the Son of Abraham, who is in fact also the Son of God. 
The blessing that God promised runs through Jesus himself. And we ourselves receive the grand blessings of God. You say, how do we receive that? Well, again, look with me just over here to the right in Galatians chapter 3. I want you to see this because Paul continues this on. In Galatians chapter 3, we find this amazing, this amazing, this amazing text by the Apostle Paul. And I want you to see what he says. Here in verse 6, he says, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Did you catch that? It is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. And so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham. Did did you catch what he said? You don't receive the blessing because the blood of a Jew runs through you. you. You don't receive the blessing because your nation blessed Israel. You don't, you don't receive the promises of God because, because you, were a, you had a treaty with Israel and you were good to Israel. And so therefore, God's going to be good to you because you were good to Israel. It comes by faith in Christ, who is an heir of Abraham. But Christ is greater than Abraham. You see, Abraham left his country when God called him. He left Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the promised land to live by faith. But when God called Jesus, he left heaven to come to the not promised land, to the broken land, the sinful land. Not that he may live by faith, but that he may create a people of faith. Abraham dwelled in tents as an alien and foreigner in the land because he was looking to the day of the city whose architecture was God. Jesus lived in a tent, but his tent was flesh and blood. Fully human, living as one of us. That he, the builder of the kingdom, would build a people for himself to live in the kingdom. To create citizens who would live in the kingdom where he would rule with, where they would rule with him. You see, Abraham goes to the mountain to lay his son on the altar. But God intervenes because Isaac's sacrifice could never be enough. And Abraham, who offered his son Isaac, Jesus becomes the offering. And God does not hold back the knife. And there Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary becomes the sacrifice by which a people of faith are made. By which the promises of God are given. It is Jesus who brings about a land by which we can live in. But dear friends, it is a greater land than this one. It is a heavenly land. It is a new land, a new earth. 
He, he brings about the blessing of a son. We have a son who, who we call Jesus, who, who loves us. He came to be. He, Jesus is the blessing. And many of us want to look at the blessings of God. Like, like Abraham was faithful, and so therefore God made him rich, and God gave him wealth, and God gave him all of these things. But yet, what we find in the Scriptures is, is that the heir of Abraham is the blessing. Jesus is the blessing itself. He came and he made, he says he'll make their name great, but he gives us a name, a new name. We see all of these different things. And what we find is, is that Jesus Christ is greater than David. He's greater than Abraham. And your blessings and your covenant with God will come through Jesus and Jesus alone. Dear friends, did you notice what he said there? It is by faith in Christ that Jesus would leave heaven and he would take on flesh and that he would live a perfect life, die and give his life on the cross of Calvary that we may know him as Savior. Jesus comes to live physically that you may receive the spiritual blessing of, of righteousness and the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, but dear friends, repent of your sins. Believe upon Christ. And I must also add this. Notice that he said, the blessing is for all nations. Jesus' sacrifice opens the door for all to find salvation. Your inheritance is not determined by the DNA that runs through your veins. Your inheritance, the, the blessings of, of God, is not determined by your family tree. Some of you may be like, I've always just wanted to chop down my family tree. Start over. You look at your family and you, you see the, the depravity, you see the immorality, you see the problems that, that, are, that riddle your lineage. It doesn't matter. And this is what's so ironic in a day. It seems the church is the one who's telling us that you and I need to pay for the sins of our forefathers. That our family tree, that we need to pay for the sins of our family tree and what they did 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And yet what we find here is, is that our forgiveness and righteousness doesn't come according to what I do now because of what they did in the past. It comes by faith in Christ who is the heir of all of God's promises. And if he is in me and I am in him, I too become an heir it is not determined by your GPS coordinates. It's not determined by your economic status in this world. The promises and the blessings of God that you inherit are inherited through Jesus Christ. And you must exercise faith in that. You must put your trust and your hope in the one that God has promised not only to be the king of kings, but the heir of all that God has that he may call us sons. Isn't it amazing? Joseph is the supposed son, or the supposed father of Jesus, the adopted father, he said, it tells us. Jesus is a son of David. He is the son of Abraham. Jesus has existed for all eternity. He was never created. 
He's always been, always is, and always will be. But he empties himself and he becomes a son to a man, to a woman, a grandson, a great-grandson. Why? So that you may inherit all that he has as the king of kings. Isn't that amazing? That's what Luke wants you to see. That he, is, that, he, that he leaves heaven and he comes and he becomes one of us so that we may benefit from us. But if you don't see that from, from David's descendant or from Abraham's heir, he surely shows us here in Adam's promised seed. Notice verse 38. He says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the central point of the genealogy that's the way genealogies work they're they're always trying to get you to that last name we got from point a to point b and so luke just reverse it he wants us to see adam that adam that jesus is the son the perfect son of adam and the perfect son of god and this is very interesting because Kent Hughes says you find this ending, this, 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 the way this genealogy ends, the son of Adam, the son of God, that part there. He says you find that nowhere else in the New Testament. You find it nowhere in the rabbinic teachings and the rabbinic genealogies. Meaning this is what Luke wants you to see. This is what he's trying to show us. Adam is a son of God. What do we mean by that? We mean that by the sense that all humanity was created by God. That's the reason why the Jews call God their father. Because he was the creator of all things. God created Adam. God created humanity. We are the offspring the create, created by him. Paul says in Acts chapter 17 verse 28, he said, For in him we live and move and exist, as in even some of your own poets have said. For we also are his children. God is our father. We are his children because he created us. Adam is the first of the created. Therefore, he is a son of God, created by God, for God, in the image of God. And so therefore, Adam, as Adam went, the rest of creation. Now, like David and Abraham, we know the story of Adam, do we not? God created Adam and Eve, and he told them that they would to multiply greatly, fill the earth with his image. And then he gave them one command. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet we know that Satan comes in and he tempts Eve and Eve sins. But then Eve goes to Adam, the federal head. The one that God commanded. And Adam is tempted and he falls. He sins. According to Romans chapter 5 verse 12, listen to this. Through one man's sin, through one man's sin, Adam entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Because of Adam's disobedience, spiritual and physical death entered the world. Humanity, Adam's seed, seeds, we are born in sin. We are born dead spiritually dead this is the reason why we sin this is the reason why you don't have to teach a a a young child to sin they are spiritually dead we are dead in our trespasses and sins because we are like our father adam and therefore we too are under the judgment of our heavenly father god but yet in an act of pure grace 
In Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, right before he gets to the judgment of Adam and Eve, he says to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. He shall crush your head and you will bruise him on the hill. There in Genesis 3, God promised a seed, singular, one human, one person of blood and flesh who would come and would crush the head of the serpent, saving mankind and beginning to redeem that which had been broken. So when Luke writes the genealogy of Jesus, he doesn't go from Adam to Jesus. He goes from Jesus to Adam because he wants us to understand some valuable lessons here. Jesus first is that promised seed. Jesus is the one that God said to the serpent who would come and crush him. He was the one that God said to Adam and Eve would be their hope. And so Luke, who has, who has, who has intensely investigated this, thoroughly provides us in consecutive order a genealogy going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You want a credential to know that this is the man that is going to save us? You want a credential to know that you can place your trust in him? Then go all the way back to the beginning and say, this is the one that God said place your hope in. This is the one that I have promised you will come and fix what you have broken. There is no other. There is no other person. There is no one who has the genealogical evidence and proof that they are that hope but Jesus Christ. And so therefore, there can be no other Savior for this world. There can be no other Savior for you. There can be no other Savior for anyone else. There are none of these all roads lead to God. Because there is only one road that leads to God. It is the promised seed that was given to us in Genesis 3.15. He and He alone has what it takes to save you. He and He alone has what it takes to save this world. And He and He alone, dear friends... It's the one that we place our faith, our hope, and our trust in. And he has all the evidence to back it up. It's the most historically accurate book in all of the world. And it takes us all the way back to where it all began and where it all fell. But not only is he giving us the promised seed, he is cementing and he is affirming Jesus as the, as in, in his human, human nature. He's affirming his human nature. He's not a demigod. He's not half God, half man. He is fully God. He's not a spirit or an apparition. He is flesh and blown, blood, flesh, bone and blood. He's not some mythological figure that we've, that we've made up, a conspiracy theory. He is a real historical human being. He is the heir of Abraham and the king of David. And we have the evidence to prove it. Why is it so important? Why is it important that we know that he is flesh and blood? Because Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. A substitute sacrifice has to be made for our forgiveness. Yes, we need the Son of God. We need the divine, perfect, supernatural power of God to accomplish it. But it had to be flesh. It had to be blood. And so he who is God becomes flesh that he may die. The blood of animals temporarily appeased the wrath of God. But Hebrews 10.4 tells us it is impossible for those blood animals to take away our sins. And so a greater sacrifice had to be needed. And so Jesus becomes man that he may die. That his blood may cover your sins. 
If he were not human, it would be physically, spiritually impossible for us to be saved. Fully man. And he makes a sacrifice that cleanses us from all sins. Are you in need this morning of your sins to be forgiven? Are you in need this morning of your sins to be washed away? To be separated from the east to the west, no longer picked up, no longer held against you. There is only one. The Son of God, the Son of Man. He sacrificed His life for you. And gives you an inheritance of forgiveness and redemption. He gives you a citizenship of the kingdom that only those who are right with God can have. And it comes through His sacrifice. And if you have not embraced that sacrifice, if you have not believed upon Christ, I would call out to God this morning and know that there is no other way in which you receive any of these promises. You will be in your sins. And if you believe that Jesus was half God and half man, dear friend, then you are in your sins. Because He only could cover and sacrifice for half of them. Or maybe you're someone who's just worried that your sins can never be cleansed. May I tell you this morning, you need not be worried that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was enough. No longer were bulls and goats needed. The blood of Christ washes away our sins, even the worst ones. And so this morning, you can take your worst sins on your worst day And you can come to Christ and walk out of here cleansed, forgiven, and justified because the Son of God, the Son of Man, died for you. But I believe there's also one, a third thing here. He is affirming that Jesus is the greater Adam, the perfect and sinless Son of God. You see, Luke spent a lot of time with the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul, we know that he is the one who, who teaches about Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam. Listen to what Paul said in verse 15 of chapter 5 of Romans. He says, but the free gift is not like the, tra- the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And so then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men." Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, and even so, through the obedience of the one, the many are made righteous. Did you hear that? Adam came into a perfect world and disobeyed God. Jesus came into a disobedient, broken, imperfect world and obey God fully and completely. Adam didn't even last three chapters. We have four Gospels. 33 years. He never sinned. And just in case you question that, in Luke chapter 4, 
Jesus lets us know by taking us not to the I mean, Luke lets us know by not going to the garden, but to the wilderness where Jesus will come face to face with the Satan and he will be victorious in all temptations. Dear beloved, hear me this morning. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. He is the perfect seed of Adam. Where Adam failed and brought death to our life, Jesus succeeded and brings life to your death. Long before we are ever physically resurrected, Jesus resurrects us spiritually through his complete and utter obedience, through his sacrifice and his resurrection. And this is exactly what you will see through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus bringing life where death reigns. The sick will be healed. The sinful will be forgiven. The lonely will find, will find companionship and love. The hurting and the brokenhearted will find peace. The outcast will find a community. Jesus brings life where death reigns. These are the credentials of Christ. This is what Luke wants you to know before we even get into the, the, all the rest of the gospel. He is the one for the job. We see it in his baptism. We see it in his genealogy. And I'm here this morning to tell you, he is the one for the job in your life too. Whatever sin that you need to be delivered from, whatever sin you need to be forgiven of, whatever, whatever suffering and pain and whatever it is that you need, you need not look anywhere else. Because Jesus is the one who was told from the beginning that would come. Dear friends, he has the credentials this morning. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man. Believe upon him, trust in him, and walk with him in faith. And may he bring spiritual life. May he bring you an inheritance. And then, dear friends, he is bringing us a citizenship to an everlasting kingdom. Let's pray.